0: I once heard a reader of of sacred texts say uh, describe the difference between reading some sacred texts and reading the Bible. He said it this way, when I read those texts, I read them, but when I read the Bible, it reads me. That's certainly true of this passage. So, if you squirm, know that I'm squirming with you. (laughs) From James chapter 3. Verses 1 to 12. Not many of us should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put butts in, <laughs> <butts>. <laughs> bits When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever and wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning. If you were to ask my mother, she would tell you, as I'm sure is not a surprise to some of you in this room, that I love to talk. I love words. I find them fascinating and interesting. Recently, I was reading a study that was done by Har- in conjunction between Harvard and Google. And they found that language has been expanding by about 8,500 words a year in this new millennium. It now stands at over 22,000 different words that we could use. The rate of increase is more than 70% since 1950. The previous half century, it only grew by a tenth. Another study that was attached to it claimed that in any given day between what we read, what we hear, what we see online, on buses, in advertisements, that the average American consumes over 100,000 words per day. 100,000 words. And I have to wonder if maybe, just maybe, it is this Overwhelming amount of words that we experience that has caused us as a culture to begin to forget their power and importance. James is going to pull no punches today. He lays out his text reminding the community of God that the things we say cannot and will not be overlooked, they cannot and will not be pushed aside. James chooses two examples, a bit in the mouth of a horse and the rudder on a boat, two things that would have been highly common to the people he was speaking to, two things that we can also relate to today. I spent the better half of the first part of my life in a barn. I rode horses growing up, and so I spent a lot of time studying and learning about bits those little pieces of metal that go inside the horse's mouth, and I found that there was no one-size-fits-all. Each horse needed a different bit based on his or her character, their faults, their quirks. But the one common denominator was that once you found the right bit for the horse, all of a the sudden, they could learn and respond much faster. In fact, you could gallop 40 miles an hour at a four-foot stone wall and have little fear with the right bit. But if you were to take that bit and replace it with the wrong one, if your bridle was to break in the middle of that, well, then you were headed for disaster. Going too fast to the left, to the right, success was not an option. And likewise, I spent time as a little kid with my grandparents on their boat, and we would go out sailing every weekend, and I learned early on that while the waves might be big, the current might be strong, the wind might howl, the most important thing was having your rudder working and having someone who knew where they were going manning it. Because if that rudder broke, well, you were using words that my grandfather used that can't be repeated in this room. (laughs) James reminds us that it is the small things that often lead the big things, as much as we think otherwise. Just as a little piece of metal or a rudder can chart the course of success or destruction for a horse or a boat, so that our own tongue can chart of course for success or destruction in our own lives and it's not just our own destruction but really that of communities of churches and businesses and families there's a reason that James begins his discourse on this topic by warning us that not many should attempt to be teachers whether you're a pastor a president, a teacher, a CEO, a mom, a dad, a grandparent. When we're placed in the position of power and leadership over other people, we will be judged more harshly for the things we say. Because as leaders, we become the de facto bit and rudder for our communities responsible for their direction, either good or bad. There's no such thing as just words. James keeps going, and he, he moves on from a benign explanation of bits and rudders and horses and boats, and he begins to get more serious as he notes and reveals the destructive power of our words. We are all Californians, or we live here now, or we're visiting here. We know the destructive power of fire. Whether it's in Lake County, Santa Cruz, LA, San Diego, we are aware that it takes just the smallest flick of a cigarette, the smallest ember from a not-doused fire, to start a blaze that can destroy. It can create a roaring, powerful, destructive fire that consumes everything in its way and leaves nothing but ash. I don't know about you, but I feel like lately in our world, we have stopped taking our speech seriously. Maybe one of these sounds familiar to you. No offense, but right before you say something offensive, I was just kidding, right? After you say something painful or offensive, he didn't really mean it. He he was just exaggerating. They're just words, it was just a tweet. It was only said to make a point. Duck, deflect, excuse. And as the sparks begin to fly, and the ground beneath us begins to smolder. We turn our eyes in a different direction and then act surprised when those sparks flame into a blaze. I once read somewhere that we must be extra careful with our words because once they are spoken, they can only be forgiven, not forgotten. Some friends and I were talking this past weekend. I was up in Seattle for a celebration, and it was wonderful, and we began to reminisce. And we began to think how lucky we were that we grew up in a time before social media. Because we couldn't imagine being a high schooler now. When I was in high school and college, we were just starting to get personal computers in homes as common. There was some MySpace and some Napster, but not a whole lot. We had those old Nokia phones that could survive a drop, a bomb blast, drive drive over with a car. I did that once. (laughs) Worked fine. Play snake on it. But we didn't grow up in a world where our lives were put out for public consumption all the time. And the more I thought about that this week, about comments that are left on walls and Snapchats that are sent, and I began to think about cyberbullying. And I did some research, and it was sobering. Over 15% of high school students say in the past year, they've been the victims of some kind of cyberbullying. 15%. In December, there was another news story of another high school student who committed suicide because her classmates had decided that it would be funny or appropriate to start writing mean things about her weight on her social media pages, to create fake websites that had other horrible things about her on it, and she couldn't take it anymore. And she's not the first. Our words matter. They impact the lives of others, and they can destroy them or bring them life. Once uttered, our words can take on a life of their own, influencing others, shaping reality. But I didn't mean it like that. James leaves no room for abdicating responsibility for our words. It's not on the hearer, but on the speaker, to bear the responsibility for what becomes of the things we say and how they affect and influence others. Our words don't bring about just an outward destruction. They can bring about an inward destruction of others and ourselves. In 2014, a Finnish and Taiwanese team decided to do a survey. They got 700 people, and they asked them to point out on a blank drawing of a human body where they felt emotion. And what comes as not as a surprise to most of us is that they pointed to basically the same places, no matter who they were, for what emotion it was. You might have experienced something like this. If you've ever had someone speak words that caused shame, you might know what it feels like to have your stomach get really tight and your face flush. Or maybe you've been scared, someone has yelled at you, they've threatened you, and you, you can feel the icy coldness on your hands and your feet, the leaden feeling in your stomach. Words are palpably felt and powerful and here's what we seem to be missing our words our very power of speech is central to what makes us human and more than that it is central to what defines us as created in the image of God I would challenge you to go through all of the books of the Bible and find one that doesn't have at least one prohibition one mention on speech and how we use it. Time and time again, we see God warning us of the dangers of foolish and rash speech, of the power of words to bless, the power of them to cure, to curse, to create, to bring forgiveness, to bring life. In Genesis 1, God creates the world. He speaks it into life, into being. And there is only one part of creation to whom he gives the power of speech, and that is humanity. He gives that precious, life-giving, creation-bearing gift to us, bestows it upon us, In Genesis 2, the second account of creation, the first task given to Adam is to name the animals. And then he names his wife. He's given the power, the privilege, and the responsibility of speaking purpose and life into existence. There's a reason here in this passage that James notes our ability to tame all the animals of the world and yet fail to tame our own tongue. Because when we go back to creation, we see that while we have fulfilled the mandate to have dominion over the world, we are still suffering from the effects of sin and evil in our life. James tells us that our tongue is full of poison. The Greek in here makes reference to a serpent. When we think of serpents, we remember the one who used words to lead humanity astray, to lead it into destruction. Not with actions, but with words, did the serpent lay out his hypothetical argument and trap to Eve. In opposition to the life-giving creation of God's words, the serpent's words sparked death. They bring into existence the flame of sin in the world. And James is trying to point out to us the ridiculousness of thinking that words don't matter. He says, out of the same mouth come blessing for God and curses for his creation. We think back to Adam who immediately after taking the apple, his first response is to blame Eve to God. We cannot hate the creation while loving the creator. It is incompatible to who God is. And it's easy in our world to find the big examples to point this out. We could say, turn and look at something like Westboro Baptists who speak words of hate while professing to love God and say clearly that is not what God has intended. It gets more difficult when we're asked to turn in and look at ourselves and our own hearts. Who have we spoken poorly of while praising God? Who do we harbor prejudice and hate against while professing to follow Christ? Immigrants? People of other ethnicities? People of other religions or sexualities? How do the words of James challenge us and who we know ourselves to be in the face of God? In Ghana, Africa, you can still visit the old slave forts that dot the coastline. And the largest and best preserved today is one known as St. George's Castle. It is in Elmina, and it was built by the Portuguese in 1482. By the mid-1600s, it had been taken over by the Dutch, and the Dutch at that point were heavily invested in the slave trade. And so after they took over this fort, the first thing they did was to begin to use the dungeons as a place to hold people before they shipped them overseas. And it was horrific. In dark, poorly-ventilated rooms, people were chained together. There were no bathrooms, there were no showers, there were no doctors. People who had died were left there for longer than we could imagine. Food was dumped in from above over their heads, if they got any food at all. The second thing the Dutch did was to build a chapel right over the top of these dungeons and so on Sundays they would come in and they would sing and praise God they would thank Jesus for freeing them from their chains of sin for blessing them and giving them hope well they literally stood above the heads of people screaming and crying out for freedom This is what we do when we curse God's people while praising God. It is an abomination. It is incomprehensible to James and to God that this would be possible. That one could reject God's people while claiming to love God. The good news is that for all of their power of destruction, our words also have the potential and the power to give life. If the tongue can start a fire of pain and loss, they can also then fan the flames of love and hope. When I was in college, I carried a great deal of shame and fear for sins that I had committed. And one night when I was on a mission trip in the Dominican Republic, I was outside praying again for forgiveness that I never felt like really came. My mentor and my friend Emily came outside and she sat with me. She waited a moment and she asked me, is there anything you feel like you want to get off your chest? And out there in the dark, it just all began to spill out. All of the things that I was ashamed of, all of the pain and fear, all the things I had done that had led me further from God rather than closer to God. And when I finished, she was silent for a moment. We sat there side by side, and then she leaned over and she looked in my eyes and she said, Brenna, you are forgiven. You are as whole and as perfect today as you were the day that God created you and brought you into existence. You are loved. Words, when spoken in God's love and wisdom, they are like an unending stream of grace that can quench any fire or pain. They water communities and people. They cause them to flourish and bear life. Words have power. They cannot be ignored. They must be treated with their due respect and importance. None of us is perfect. No one in this room or anyone we know has completely mastered their tongue. We are not Jesus but we can correct it when it begins to run amok on us. We can change our course from destruction to joy. We have been gifted speech by God, and we will be judged accordingly to how we use this gift. Let us then be a people who refuse to fan the flames, but rather bring a balm of water to a weary and parched world.
0: Amen.